Another beautiful fall day, isn't it? I guess I looked at the calendar, what, next uh, Saturday, first day of fall? Already? Oh, it's nice. Nice. Good to see everybody here this morning. Brother Lynn is preparing for worship services, so uh, it can be rather challenging to teach Sunday school and then preach back to back. So he asked me if I don't mind standing in to teach Sunday school this morning. So we're always uh, honored to do that. All right, we're going to be in Revelations today, chapter 2. Our class has just began oh, a month or so ago, starting to go through the book of Revelation. We'll start in chapter 2 this morning. But first, let's um, have a word of prayer, open up our Sunday school hour, and we'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, it's just so... Uh, great and such an honor, such a blessing to be in your house this morning, to be amongst fellow Christians, fellow brothers and sisters, just time of fellowship, time to just get refreshed from the week uh, that has occurred and get ready for the week to come, starting off in your house with your word. Lord, we're just so grateful to have, again, the opportunity to be together. We pray for those that are unable to be with us here this morning. While we, uh, again, didn't take time for prayer requests, Lord, I'm sure that there's plenty, and you're aware of each and every one of them here this morning. From the known to the unknown, Lord, we just ask that you work as you see fit in each one of those circumstances, blessing uh, folks that... Uh, uh, deserve those blessings and healing those that uh, might be ill amongst us. Lord, as we open up your word this morning, we just ask that you would speak with us. Give us maybe a little challenge from this uh, lesson, maybe some encouragement even, um, and that uh, we would use it to grow closer to you. Pray for Brother Lynn as he's finishing up, getting ready for preaching from your word here in just a little while, and even now prepare our hearts and our minds for that service to come. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Revelations chapter 2, Revelation chapter 2. We kind of got started in, in Revelation again for the last few weeks, and uh, for those that weren't in those classes, obviously we're kind of starting out we studied chapter 1, and we see that John, who is in uh, oh, basically prison on this Isle of Patmos, is giving us this vision that he had of Christ. And Christ telling him during this vision, now tell the things that you have seen and tell the things that you have heard. And John is pinning this letter to us, pinning this letter to these churches. We're going to start out this morning in chapter 2 where John begins to uh, write down the words that Christ specifically told him in regards to the letters to the specific seven churches that he uh, Oh, is uh, wanting this information passed on. And we start with the church 
in Ephesus. Let me say this before we get started. Motivations mean a lot, don't it? Why we do things. I mean, why do we do the things that we do? What motivates you to get up every morning, and whether it's go to work, come here this morning? What motivates you? What's the underlying factor that motivates you? Why we do good? Why do, why do we do good? Well, we do good because we, again, are motivated by some other external item or factor. Everything we do, we're motivated by something. Now, this is kind of to that point. When I started on the police department 20-some years ago, I was just a patrolman, and I was out patrolling, and I started realizing I was getting complained on a lot. I was some, doing some things that weren't right. And I had goals in mind. This was early, maybe a year and a half, two years. I had some goals in mind of some things I wanted to do with my career over 20 years. And I realized very quickly, I was sitting in squad one day, and I was kind of looking over one of my sergeant's shoulders, and he was reading an email from the captain. And I'm just a patrolman. So I'm just sitting there. But I noticed that he was reading this email, and it had my name on it. So I kind of was like browsing over his shoulder trying to see what the captain was saying about me. And he said, the captain said something along the lines of, got another complaint reference. Patrolman Tyner, is this an ongoing issue that we need to be aware of? And that impacted me because I'm like, oh, no. I'm starting to get a reputation for something that is going to impact my goals. My motivation was this, but my actions were leading me somewhere else. So I, I really kind of, it bothered me for a few days. So what I did was I took a piece of paper, just very small, and I wrote on it, remember your goals. And I actually taped it to the police car right underneath the speedometer. So everywhere I drove that car all day long, that reminded me what my motivation was. And I was able to overcome those things. So motivations matter, doesn't it? Doesn't it? And it can for the wrong reasons. I, I found it interesting yesterday, I was doing some study on this, and two economists actually did a study and looked at donations from alumni of a large college. So these are people that have graduated from this college. They found that donations increased when these alumni's children reached their early teens. Well, why would that be? Well, what they figured was if those, children's, if those children were planning to apply for admissions to this university, they were hoping if they gave more money, they had a better chance of getting their children into that college. So what was their motivation for giving? Was it kind of saying, you know what, I want the college to do better. I want to give this money to them because they gave me something that has been a blessing in my life, and I want them to give that to somebody else. Was that the motive? No. 
that wasn't their motivation. Their motivation was, I'm going to give them money hoping that I get something in return that my kid gets in. That was their motivation. So they were doing actually the right thing for maybe the wrong reasons. The right thing for the wrong reasons. Interestingly enough, as they continued looking into this pattern, the giving fell dramatically after the admissions decisions were posted. So once the decision was made who got in and who didn't, they quit giving. Bible says in Matthew 23, 23, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. Christ is telling us motivations matter. You had the Pharisees walking around. Their motivation was to be seen and honored. Right? They, they had all these religious rules, they had all these religious practice, practices, but their motivation was to be seen by men and honored by men. And Christ is saying, hypocrites. Hypocrites. Motivations matter. I found this uh, short story um, as well. It starts off, it says, while I was in a church I was visiting, there was a woman in the church who had, this was come from a pastor who was new at a church. It says, while I was there, a woman in the church who had a passion for the poor, needy, and homeless started a program at the church for a Friday night meal called Bread and Cup, served every Friday of the year. It was a great program for the needy and homeless and was attended by over 100 persons. In addition, a food pantry was maintained for emergency use during the week, and a clothing closet full of donated clothes was maintained. The church was located in the downtown area where many of those who needed such help were located. This was the right thing to do. It was what Jesus has led us to do. But alas, it is no longer at that church. Church members were afraid that these people would do something in their beautiful sanctuary. They also voiced their concern that if they fed people and helped clothe them, they would attend the church and add to their membership numbers. Too many of the membership did the right thing, again, for the wrong reasons. And when the opportunity came after uh, this pastor's ministry was finished and the guiding person who founded this ministry also moved away. The church, with no notice, informed the Bread and Cup ministry that their building was no longer to be used by them. They began this ministry maybe for the right reasons, but over time lost the zeal for the motivation. The, the focus of the ministry got sidetracked, right? Right? And when that happens, we start looking at side things like, well, how's this going to affect this issue or that issue, as opposed to how is this ministry affecting people? And are we seeing people saved through this ministry, right? Amen. 
Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Jesus says unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. The second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Got to keep and understand what our main focus is. And as we continue in Revelation chapter 2 and study this, this church in Ephesus, you're going to see a church that lost its focus. That lost its focus. So in Revelation chapter 2, if you uh, let's do our reading this morning, and let's go back in chapter 1, and look at chapter 1, verse 12 for a second. Verse 12, I'm going to read a few verses here. Chapter 1, verse 12, Revelation. Then I turned to see the voice and that spake with me. This is John speaking. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven golden, uh, excuse me, in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. Verse 16. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Go down to verse 20. Christ tells us the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So now chapter 2 verse 1. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thy canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars." And hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hath labored, and hast not fainted. Verse 4, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and I will remove, excuse me, and I will remove Remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, and I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Jesus is specifically addressing the deeds of this church at Ephesus. So a little bit about Ephesus. What's specific about that uh, region in this church? Well, first off, Ephesus, the name means desirable. 
desirable. One commentator said this about Ephesus. Ephesus was the chief city of the province in Asia. It was called the Vanity Fair of Asia. It was both a religious and commercial center of the entire area, which influenced both East and West Europe and Asia. The Temple of Diana was there, which was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, being the largest Greek temple ever constructed. There were over 100 external columns, about 56 feet in height, of which 36 were hand-carved. It was built over a march on an artificial foundation of skins and charcoal so that it was not affected by earthquakes. The doors were of cypress wood, columns and walls were of Parian marble. The staircase was carved out of one vine from cypress, and the temple served as the bank of Asia as well, depositing vast sums of money. And there was an art gallery there as well. Many estimate that Ephesus would have been around 200,000 people in population during this time. This is a significantly large city. It was a port city. So a bunch of trades going in and out of Ephesus. Now, when you have these sailors coming in and out all the time, it was a city of sin as well. And when they say the, the, the name describes desirable and you have this temple of Diana there, um, the uh, activities surrounding that were uh, just debauchery. Ephesus was also known as a center for the practice of magic, I found. One researcher stated, of all ancient Greco-Roman cities, Ephesus, the third largest city in the empire, was by far the most hospitable to magicians, sorcerers, and charlatans of all sorts. So what better place to start a church? Right? <laughs> There's a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, a sin there. There's a lot of lost people. So you saw early on, uh, Paul, during his uh, labors, started a church there uh, with some others as well. But if we look in verse 2, or actually verse 1, I'm sorry. Unto the church of Ephesus I write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in the right hand. And notice it says this, Who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. What were the seven golden candlesticks? What did they represent? The seven churches. Ephesus being one of those churches. And it says Christ walked through the midst of those churches. And in verse 2, he says, I know thy works. He is walking amongst those churches on a daily basis, every moment, and he knows the works of the churches. I think it's a good uh, lesson for us today. He's walking amongst our churches today, and he knows what our works are. He knows our motivations behind those works. So it's something for us to uh, definitely uh, keep in mind. Verse 2 goes on, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. 
Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, considering they were in this um, relatively hostile environment for, for witnessing to people, they had some standards, it sounds like. And they did a good job keeping the bad influence out of the church. Christ tells us this, I know thy works, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. They got the separation thing down. They were keeping those influences out of the church. They were running, you know, if they had guest pastors or guest speakers or guest teachers, they were making sure that these people were right theologically and were teaching Scripture. So that, again, amongst this area in Asia Minor, that specifically Ephesus, they are to be commended for that. The difficulty in that would be, would be very difficult. Now has tried them which they are apostles. So again, they're, they're the teachers that are coming in, they're testing them. They're making sure that they're not false teachers. And hast found them liars. So they've caught people trying to infiltrate the church in that regard. And, and they've tested them and found them liars. And has shown patience. They're working hard. They're doing a lot. They have ministries, um, uh, you know, in several different areas. And they're doing the things that need to be done. They're doing it. They're staying busy. For, and it says in verse 3, and hast patience. You know, we went over, and those that were in our class, and we kind of studied some of the tribulation, some of the trials that Christians were going uh, through at this time, and this church is experiencing those trials as well. But they're not letting it get in their way. They're still overcoming. They're showing the patience. They just keep doing. They keep doing. They just keep going. Christ even says, and for my name's sake hast they labored, and they hast not faded. Again, he says, I know thy works. These people are faithful laborers for the Lord. I know thy works and their labor and thy patience. I want to read just a small section from this book kind of describing what Ephesus' ministries might be like. Oh, okay. I thought I marked the right page. Here we go. Suppose you attended this church on a Sunday morning as a visitor from Corinth, Jerusalem, or Rome. You've just joined. And at an early morning hour with other believers in the communion service... Well, now, brother, uh, uh, one of the uh, deacons stands up and says, quote, immediately after this service will be a prayer meeting. The sisters will meet in the annex next door. The brethren will meet on the patio outside. And at 11 o'clock, the family Bible hour will begin. And the Sunday school division of the family hour will meet in the school of, of Tyrannus across the street. The adults will meet here. The gospel will be preached this morning by our brother Alexander from Cyrene. Our aged brother is the son of the well-known Simon who carried the cross of our Lord and who joined in Paul's original commendation to the mission field. 
We are privileged to have our brother Alexander with us today. He will also speak tonight at the evening service. This afternoon at 2.30, there will be a street meeting to be conducted outside the Temple of, of Artemis, also known as the Temple of Diana. Christians in the fellowship will recall that this weekend brings many pilgrims to Ephesus to partake in the pagan festival of Artemis. We suggest that those who, like Gideon's uh, 22,000, are afraid to get involved should stay home. We only want those who are activated by holy boldness to attend. The young people's meeting will convene at 4.30. Uh, the tract club will meet in the home of Brother Hermes uh, to, uh, tomorrow night. A uh, new tract has been received from Brother Marcellus of Rome. All who can wield a pen will be needed to begin making copies of this tract for distribution. Weekly prayer meetings on Thursday. We need to pray earnestly for the activities of all churches. There will be an elders meeting at the close of the Bible class. All elders should take special effort to be present. The Youth Challenge Rally will be held Saturday near Bonfire Square. I think that's all the announcements. Oh, wait, uh, there's one more. Uh, Yes, I should have mentioned that there will be a baptism class for the new Christians after the prayer meeting on Tuesday evening. You can see they're busy. And they're busy doing good things, right? Handing out tracts, having Bible study, preaching, prayer time. They're busy doing the right things. But what was their motivation? What was their motivation for doing it? They were discerning the truth. They were suffering for the Lord. They had patience. They held to pure doctrine. They seemed to be doing everything right. And then Revelation 2.4, Christ says, Nevertheless, nevertheless, I've walked amongst you. I've seen what you're doing. You're, you're staying busy. You have patience. And you have good doctrine. But nevertheless, I have somewhat against you. Because thou hast left their first love. I mean, they're doing all this. And they're doing it for the wrong reasons. Maybe at one time... I'm confident at one time when they started these ministries or when this church was fresh and young, they were doing it because they loved Jesus and they wanted to see others get to know him so that they would love him as well. But over time, they got so busy with the day-to-day, -day, with administrative tasks of running all of these ministries that their motivation fell. They weren't doing it because they loved Jesus anymore. They were just doing it. Have you ever kind of, I remember at times, uh, yeah, I even do it driving to the credit union where I work now. I've, you drive that section every day, sometimes three to four times a day. Have you ever got home and you don't remember the drive? Because you've done it all the time, it's like you're on autopilot. And I've actually driven home and went, I don't remember going through those intersections. My mind was, I mean, the process took over. And it wasn't even a conscious thing anymore. 
you have to stay focused. You know, you gotta know what your motivation is and you gotta keep it frontmost and center. This church was faithful in service, suffering, and standing for the truth, and yet they were guilty of losing their first love. Again, they were doing works for work's sakes. They were busy, yet they'd lost their focus. And they continued day to day, week to week, but they had no focus, had lost their focus and why they worked so hard. There's a variety of reasons why we serve the Lord, right? We, some may do it for the praise of man. You know, I get to, if I go to, at work on Monday and tell them, well, I was active at church yesterday, did my thing, somebody might, well, you know, think different of you. Some might do it for prestige or position, for the sake of reputation. Some may serve the Lord because it is simply the thing to do. We were brought up in church. You've always served the Lord. You don't remember a time where you didn't come to church and serve. Because of a sense of duty. And again, it's just what we've always done. But of all the reasons why we serve the Lord, number one on that list must be because we love Him. You love Him. The easy illustration there, obviously, is when you were a kid growing up and your parent would tell you things to do, right? Well, you did it. Why? Because you didn't want to get beat with a belt back when I was growing up. Or a fly swatter that was this long, and the actual swat thing was only this long, but the wire was this long, you know? Um, That was my motivation for a while, just not to get beat. But after time, you do the things that they ask you to do because you love your parents and you want to help them. You want to help them. Our granddaughter, our, our daughter uh, had our third grandbaby a little over a month ago, I guess. And our uh, oldest granddaughter, she's 10. Uh, Cindy was telling me the other day, uh, Caitlin, our daughter, she wasn't feeling well, so she kind of slept in and her husband stayed home from work to take care of the the uh, grandson and Hallie the 10 year old went downstairs on her own woke up early fixed mama a big breakfast and did it without being asked I was just like wow she's 10 years old she's already getting that she gets it she's doing that because she loves her mom nobody told her she had to do it there was no consequence if she didn't so she's doing it because she loves her parents well That's the easy illustration here. We should be doing these things because we love Jesus. He did so much for us. He's done so much for us. In the past, he's done so much for us. And every day he continues to do for us, right? Revelation 2.5 Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent. All right. He tells us what we need to do here. It's clear. He's saying you've fallen from your first love. Remember when you first got saved. I taught on this several months ago, and I made the point. Don't you? Does each one of us, if you're saved, do you remember that moment? Do you remember that moment that just you became? It just I can't even explain it. Maybe 
I mean, you just became um, unable to do anything but go forward and announce that you, were, that you wanted to follow him. It broke you. You, were, you knew the kind of person you were, and it broke you. And he provided that salvation because he loves you, and it breaks us at that point. He's going, he's going to remember that point and repent from where you are now and go back to where we began our relationship. First off, none of this means that these people lost their salvation, right? No. They, these were all saved people. They just lost their light. They just lost the light. This church had lost its light. Christ said, remember, repent. And the, the rule here I wrote down, no love, no light. That's the rule. Church that is functioning without love for the Lord is worse than useless. It gives the wrong impression of what Christianity is all about, and it is better that that church doesn't exist. I think we have a lot of churches nowadays that go through religious-type practices, not because they love Jesus, but, but for a variety of other things, and it's causing this confusion in Christianity. And it's better that those churches didn't exist because it's just causing significant problems. Continuing in verse 5, he says, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove, I can't say remove, I want to say remove, and will remove the candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. He's saying, if you get to this point as a church and you don't repent, there's going to come a time when he's going to come remove that candlestick. You then as a church have lost the light. You've lost the light. And you exist at that point as a social club, not as a church of, that loves him. Psalm 51.11 says this, Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. God forbid any Christian should ever have to pray that prayer, right? But we as churches, as Bible-believing local churches, should often repeat these words. There's absolutely no eternal security for a local church. None. Presented in the Bible, a believer can never fall from grace, but his church can. His church can. History records the sad fact that Christ did indeed later remove the lampstand of the church in Ephesus. It has been gone for centuries. And, you know, I'm sure historically there are many churches that have suffered that same fall. God can and often does move out of a local church and write Ichabod over the door. Ichabod, Ichabod meaning the glory had departed. 
when church reaches this point, it not only loses its power, it also loses its position and authority as a true scriptural church. I mean, that should be our constant warning, a constant challenge. And we got a great church, loving church. And there's something going on every day here. I mean, there's ministries. Um, it's, I think this is a specific challenge for us. Is to not get so caught up in some of these things that we lose focus on why we're doing it and who we're doing it for. Um, you know, the, 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 uh, the CBA. I mean, administratively, that, you know, running a school, 70, how many? 73 kids a part of that. That's just, just so awesome to see. But very quickly, we can lose focus of why we're doing that, why we're doing it. Um, you know, we have Awanas, 200, what I see uh, earlier this week, Awanas and King's Character this week, 200. Some kids showed up. Wow. I mean, you can get so busy doing something like that that you lose focus of why. That you lose focus of why. It should be constantly on our mind. Every day, every Sunday we show up that we're praying for those ministries. That we're praying for those in charge and, and assisting with those ministries. That they, as an individual, can keep that focus as the primary thing. As the primary. Keep Christ as the main focus. And then we finish in verse 7 with this. Christ says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, and which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now, I kind of, now this saying he repeats through the, uh, that was my ringtone, I was wondering, uh oh. Um, he says that each time he ends one of these letters, he that hath an ear, let him hear. And I really kind of pondered on that. Do you notice what he says? He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches, to him that overcometh. He's talking to individuals here. He's not talking to the church. He kind of broke away and he says to him that hath let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the church. Individuals is where it starts. Number one, individuals is where that decline can begin when somebody with the wrong focus starts having an influence on others. And if a decline has begun, it's an individual that can come in and refocus the ministry to where it needs to be. It's all through individuals that this process begins and repents. It's, it's one of you who uh, may work in a ministry and then you uh, take the time maybe later to come forward and you pray for that ministry. Or from your pew, you pray for that leader. 
and say, please don't take that lamp from us. Don't take that light from us. We want to keep that light. We're doing this because we love you and we want to see others saved. That's the focus of our ministries. I think it's a great uh, caution tale, if you will, for a church like this that does stay very busy um, and can very easily get sidetracked. So in earlier, you know, I, I kind of said I put the little note that just keeps me focused. I've seen Cindy take notes and take to the mirror every morning or something. Just to, Maybe it's a verse of some kind. And she puts it in the, right by the kitchen. She's got real good. She puts them right in the, we have a window that faces outside right by the kitchen sink. So she'll tape stuff to that window all the time. And as she's standing there doing dishes, it just keeps her, oh yeah, I need, I can take that time to pray for something or someone or some uh, mission of our church. I love this church. Um, we love the people of this church and we want to see this church accomplish the mission that we're here for, right? That we love Christ and we want to see others saved. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this Sunday school hour and for the just for the, to help us maybe be a little, um, to recognize where we might start sliding away from you being our primary focus. It's happened to churches all through history. Let us not get into a position that we think it can't happen here. Let us be honest about that. Let us be um, prayerful about that Lord you know the situation you walk amongst us as you say in these verses you walk amongst the, the candlesticks and the lampstand you walk amongst these churches you know our works you know our motivations help, help speak to us and give us the the ability to be able to recognize those conditions and Lord just keep uh, a spirit of prayerfulness in all of our hearts for our, uh, all of our leaders and our workers in these ministries that they do it not for the recognition, for position, or, or uh, for their glory, but they do it for your glory and because we love you, Lord. Give us, uh, pray for us as we get ready to enter our worship time that uh, we be open to the words that uh, Brother Lynn would have for us. And that let us also be uh, open to this lesson as well as we end our time here this morning. That, w that during our invitation hour we can uh, take some prayerful examination of our condition. Not only as individuals but as our church. Lord, thank you for this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.